Welcome back to another episode of Mark G. Richardson's Remodeling Mastery. This series is brought to you by Stripfire Local. This episode, Mark goes into the topic of handling objections from homeowners. Take a listen in and see if you are approaching objections the right way. Take it away, Mark. Hi, I'm Mark Richardson and welcome to Remodeling Mastery. Remodeling Mastery is a podcast series that's designed and conceived as a way for you to help take your business to the next level. We spend so much of our time in the trenches of the day-to-day remodeling business running at 100 miles an hour. We really don't spend enough time thinking and reflecting about the business and the future. What I try to do is I take topics that are thought-provoking, topics that will really help question you more necessarily than giving you the answers. This particular podcast series is actually supported by Professional Remodeler Magazine, as well as the National Association of the Remodeling Industry. And it's actually produced by Surefire Local. And I want to thank those for that. Today, I want to talk about a subject that is really, I think, especially important and kind of bubbling up out there. And the skills that one takes to be able to address this, I think, are greater than ever. And that is the whole subject of objections. Objections that you're getting from homeowners in terms of proceeding with projects. Now, the challenge with objections is that they not only have impact in terms of stalling the process, but what they also do, if you don't know how to deal with them, they cause you to spend a tremendous amount of time, time that's ultimately wasted in the project, either not proceeding or eventually proceeding, but just not very effective and efficient. So knowing how to deal with objections, I think, is especially important. So before we actually get into some of the specific objections that I'm seeing remodeling and remodeling organizations experience today, let's just look a little bit at the stars and planets. Because in many ways, you kind of think about this, why are there so many objections out there when the environment itself is so prime for remodeling, when the scarcity of really top quality remodelers and the labor is really such that homeowners more than anything need, I think, you. And as we think about the environment out there, I think it has a lot to do with why the objections are really coming up, but also uh, why it's important. If, in fact, you know how to crack the code, you're going to be very successful. So let's start to look at the remodeling environment first. One of the elements out there that certainly influences homeowners today and has for many, many years is the whole notion of home appreciation. Well, home appreciation is really very, very positive. In the recession, we saw it obviously dip down, and then we've seen it climb back up, and it continues to be, while not necessarily crazy double-digit kind of levels of appreciation, we continue to see it being very, very positive. So again, that's a thumbs-up sign. Interest rates. Interest rates also continue to be relatively strong and positive for home improvement. Now, what's interesting about interest rates is we see them kind of creep up. It has an impact more on the new housing market, but not necessarily on home improvement, partially because of the scale of the projects, but also interest rates creeping up in home improvement or in the industry, that actually creates a little bit of a sense of urgency. 
Certainly the stock market has been a very, very positive influence. It's created what we oftentimes call out there in the marketplace the wealth effect that's going on out there. New housing kind of demand and the shortage of labor has created a thirst for new housing that's much, much greater than the ability of new housing kind of contractors and builders to be able to provide that. And therefore, it's created, I think, a gap, a gap between the thirst and a gap between new houses available, which create, has created a more, uh, more of an opportunity for remodeling. Another one that oftentimes we don't think about, but has really a positive impact, according to Harvard and the the leading indicator, Lira, of remodeling activity, and that's the whole notion of unemployment. With unemployment figures being historically very, very low, it's very, very positive. Now, I don't think anybody in the home improvement industry uh, is looking at it so much in terms of does your prospective client have a job? They probably wouldn't be calling you if they didn't have a job. However, the issue is more do they feel the confidence that they'll have a job in the future? By unemployment being very low, coupled with the home appreciation and interest rates, it's just created a dynamic in the marketplace that is very, very positive. All this kind of boils together and really creates a nice level of consumer confidence that's out there. And the consumer confidence is what is getting the phone to ring. It's creating, I think, people, homeowners, to kind of fantasize and really want to do more and more to their greatest asset, their home. However, just because the phone is ringing doesn't mean that it's easy. It's easy to close. It's easy to sell. And that's why I really want to focus on this subject of objections. So I think oftentimes with salespeople, owners, salespeople in the remodeling industry, we get objections and we're like deer in headlights. We're stalled. We hear them really as if that we've heard them for the first time. But the reality is, as I'll talk about in a minute, you know, 80% of the time objections really fall in three categories. But before I actually get into that, let's talk about what an objection really is. And if you really think about it, what is that? What is that pushback that we're getting from the client? So from a homeowner's perspective, they really are your biggest competitor. It's their ignorance. It's their time. It's their stress. It's their overwhelm that, quite frankly, you have to combat with. And oftentimes, this manifests itself in the form of an objection. An objection oftentimes is just a question. We oftentimes get defensive when a a homeowner uh, has an objection in terms of not wanting to proceed, but in many cases, it's just a question. So it's very important, I think, as a sage and as an advisor that you really address it really as as a question. Sometimes an objection is just an excuse. I think as you develop a relationship with a prospective client, as they get to know you and they get to like you, if they're not really ready to proceed, oftentimes they'll have some sort of concrete objection as a reason not to proceed. And as a result of that, it's really more of an excuse. It's an excuse to say to you, look, I really still like you. I really want the relationship to continue, but it's really... The objection is the excuse not to proceed. It's not necessarily real. In some cases, an objection is a fear. 
It's something that they're really, truly anxious about, and they haven't fully gotten the comfort in. You know, it could be an objection of diving into the water and swimming. It could be an objection in terms of doing something that's a little bit more risky. could be an objection in terms of of, uh, having uh, strangers in their home that they're not used to. But oftentimes, the objection will come out in the form of, you know, something that is more generic. But it's really behind the scenes as you really peel back the onion, so to speak. It's really more of a fear. In some cases, an objection is uh, ignorance. It's just ignorance about the remodeling process. It's ignorance about different kind of elements in terms of costing of remodeling and transparency and how to go about making selections. And oftentimes, their ability to proceed and not necessarily understand the whole remodeling process results in the project either being stalled or an objection itself. And then certainly, oftentimes, there's the objection is real. It's real, it's literal, it's exactly what they're oftentimes talking about. But what's important, I think, is that you realize it's so important that you know how to deal with that objection. So let's kind of look at, as many of you listen to my podcasts, I oftentimes compare kind of amateurs versus professionals as it relates to different kinds of subjects. And in this case, I created a very simple little matrix that really compares, I think, when it comes to objections, what I'm observing out there in the marketplace between the best of the best in terms of selling remodeling versus some of the weaker ones or the more sort of freshman or sophomore type of sales when it comes to objection. So with an amateur, I would say an objection is, is oftentimes a conclusion, When they get the pushback from the client, that's a conclusion. This is what they've decided to do, whether it's they want to go back and think about it or they're not going to spend that much money. Whatever it happens to be, it's a conclusion. Whereas I think the professional really sees the objection as a question. It's a question the client's having. It's just something else that needs to address. And the more, quite frankly, they understand what the objections are, the more the questions that they can answer and the likelihood of proceeding is greater. So an amateur, I think, oftentimes addresses objections too late. It's kind of like too late to the party, so to speak. Uh, Oftentimes, they'll go through the motions and talk about the project and talk about the relationship and talk about the project, but they don't necessarily flesh out the objections early on in it. So as a result, they get down to the end and the client is is, uh, uh, objecting to something and then they want to pull out of their sales tool belt all the answers to those objections that now it feels like and sounds like a, a very salesy kind of pitch as opposed to something more sincere. The professional, on the other hand, really addresses the objections early. They pepper into the conversations, whether it's over the phone or on the introduction or the tour or whatever part of the process. They're addressing what they know to be objections that are going to come up in in the future, but they address them very early on. An amateur is really oftentimes surprised by the objections. We oftentimes find this with sales organizations and sales meetings where all of a sudden they'll say a particular project's going to proceed or going to sign, and then it doesn't sign. They're surprised by the fact that it doesn't sign. Whereas a professional, I think, when it comes to objection, anticipates them. 
They don't necessarily put their tail between the legs and are fearful of them, but they anticipate the objection is going to. When the objection comes up, they actually know how to respond because they're anticipating. They're ready for it. It's no different than an athlete anticipating a certain shot to be or anticipating how they want to go about defending something. Another element when it comes to an amateur and objections is they oftentimes tend to be uh, very defensive about it. The reality is no homeowners want, I think, their advisor, their sage to be defensive about something that, quite frankly, is just a fear or something that's just a question. Whereas I think a professional, when it comes to objections, tends to be very empathetic. They tend to try to look at it through the client's eyes and not just them. They change kind of their tone to be one of more caring and empathy when there is an objection, as opposed to having an edge and being defensive. An amateur, when it comes to objections, hates no. Matter of fact, they're fearful. Oftentimes, they'll delay the sales process just because they're afraid to get the no, whereas the professional actually, believe it or not, I oftentimes say this, they love the no. Because the no is either an objection that they need to solve, and now they can very isolate what's needed to move the chess moves forward, or even if they're not going to get the project, they cannot waste a lot of time because they can try to deal with those objections or those no's up front. An amateur doesn't really practice. Oftentimes, they practice in the game, handling the objections, whereas I think the professional is really more the student. They're really more the student of the objections. They know what the objections are, they know how to deal with the objections, and they have their answers ready in maybe a softer kind of way, not necessarily in a scripted way, but a softer kind of way when it flushes out. An amateur also, when it comes to objections, is very, very reactive. Whereas a professional, as I see them, more times than not, they tend to be proactive. And this kind of weaves into anticipation and those kind of things, as I mentioned earlier. But they tend to be more proactive with objections as opposed to reactive. So let's just talk about some of the more common objections and what they are and how maybe, just to give you a little bit of a taste test with the diversity, all the different kinds of remodeling out there that you need to uh, uh, be able to address it. And then I'm going to give you, after that, a few tips on how to think about objections moving forward. So the three most common objections are, number one, I need to think about it. Number two is your price is too high. And number three is I need to talk to others. Now, if you look at each one of these and you really reflect and you go back over the course of the last, let's say, 20 or 30 leads or appointments that you've had, you look at the number of folks that have proceeded, and then you look at the folks that did not proceed with you, or even maybe some of the ones that you turned around to proceed, and what were some of the objections that they had. 80% of the time, having been in this industry for about 40 years, I found, and having trained literally thousands of salespeoples and leaders and owners, I find 80% of the time the objections fall into these three categories. I need to think about it, the price is too high, and I need to talk to others. Now, 
Going back, I think, to dealing with objections in the sales process, I think every one of these can be addressed, I think, properly if, in fact, you know what they are. More times than not, as someone just recently said, when you really flush it down, the majority of the time that someone doesn't proceed with you oftentimes relates to cost or price. Matter of fact, what I oftentimes train salespeople to do is to try to frame the question when it comes to the close. Oftentimes, when they want to think about it or they have some concerns about proceeding or they're not uh, really sure what to do, by oftentimes saying to the client, there are three critical questions that you need to think about at this stage in the process. Number one is, how do I feel about the advice and direction Number two is the level of investment consistent with what you'd like to put into this project. And number three is, do you think I and we would be a good fit to help you create this dream project? By addressing what those objections are, addressing those three questions, what you're doing is framing the decisions. Going back to what I said earlier, when it comes to an objection, Oftentimes it's ignorance. It's ignorance about remodeling. It's in ignorance about how to proceed when it comes to a remodeling project. So by framing the questions, what you're doing is giving them the permission, giving them the license to be able to proceed with you. Again, let me repeat those questions. And you can use those three questions all along in different stages of the, pro of the closing process. How do I feel about the advice direction? It could be how do I feel about the solutions? It could be how do I feel about the designs? But it's basically what, how do I feel about where we're headed? The second one is how do I feel about the level of investment? That's the estimate. That's the price. That's the budget, hopefully, that you're doing. Now, I've talked about this in earlier podcasts, how to talk about money and how to talk about budgeting in the remodeling process, but that's an important question to frame. And then the last question is all about the relationship, and that is how do I feel about the relationship? How do I feel about working with my company and working with me and helping them? Do I feel like there's chemistry there? By framing those three questions, you're giving the client the opportunity to answer those three questions. Question number one, what I found in surveying, remodeling folks, and certainly experiencing it myself, 95% of the time, the homeowner is going to feel good about the advice and direction. If you've done a good job, they're going to feel good about that. Question number two is, how do I feel about the level of investment, the cost, the budget on the project? Generally speaking, no more than 50% of the time are, is the client happy with that. Oftentimes, it's 30 or 40%. In some cases, depending on the particular niche or clientele, it might be a little bit more. Question number three is, how do I feel about me? How do I feel about the relationship uh, in working with me? And generally speaking, again, 95% of the time or more, the homeowner is going to give you a positive response. So now, what did I just do? I isolated what the objection really is. Question number one and number three, one about the advice, three was about the relationship. We can check those off the box because most of the time, the client's going to say they like the ideas and direction, they like the design, they like the solutions, and they felt comfortable with you. 
Question number two is focused on the budget and the investment. And as I said, 50% or sometimes less than that, they're comfortable with that. So what I've now done is I've isolated that objection so I can have more of a discussion about the money, more of a discussion about the particular level of investment. Now, what I've found in mainly full service remodeling, but this also is affected in specialty remodeling as well, that by asking the client, uh, would it be of interest if we discussed ways to increase or decrease the level of investment, most clients are very open to those ideas. There are three ways to increase or decrease the level of investment. Now, clearly, there's other ways like price drops and lowering your profit. But as it relates to the relationship with the client, I encourage having a discussion about the three ways to increase or decrease. Now, one of the key words is increase because you want you do not want them to feel that this is just a negotiation to lower your price, that they can spend more or they can spend less. And by using that terminology, I think it helps them to frame the relationship that you're there as the advisor, you're there as the financial kind of expert, not the negotiator. The three ways to increase or decrease the level of investment are, number one, the scope of work. If it's a more complex project that involves different elements to it, you can do more, you can do less in terms of the scope of work. Number two is the design and specifications. The specifications can be maybe rather than the, the best, they can move down to the good in terms of manufacturer specification, or it could be also particular designs that require more of level of investment. And number three is the client involvement. Now, a lot of times remodelers, they don't want a client involved in the project, and I certainly don't encourage that, but they have to understand it's their money and it's their ability to, to spend the money as opposed to you controlling it. So I think mentioning that that's the third way to increase or decrease the level of investment is a healthy way to do it. Then you'd simply just walk through ideas and examples of that. Now, in summary of that whole process and that exercise, it gets back to the level of budget and investment, and hopefully you can narrow that down and create a scope of work. Now, in a full service or design build process, it's all about moving them to the next step so you can look at the feasibility. On a more once it closed, you can hopefully, in the course of asking these questions and addressing these objections this way, you can uh, isolate the particular thing and then come to a price or come to an actual closure with a client as well. So what I want to talk about is some uh, uh, tips, tips when it comes to addressing objections. And these are a little bit more in some cases at uh, a thousand foot level, but I think as you listen to this po podcast and you reflect on these things, it really will try to help you as well. The th first one is what I call the three E's. It's important, first of all, to make this easy for the client to understand. Again, your biggest competitor when it comes to home improvement is the client themselves, and it's their ignorance. So make it easy for them to understand. Second is address it early. By addressing the objection before they actually have it, you can actually go back and refer what you said earlier in the conversation 
or the objection may not ever come up because you've addressed it before it happens to ha- happens to, to be there. For example, go back to my three common objections. One is I want to think about it. Two is your price is too high. And three is you want to talk to other people. Well, if I'm having a discussion, for example, with them earlier on, and I'm asking them to tell me a little bit more about the kind of research that they're doing, in code, I'm asking who else they're talking to. So most clients, if I have the right rapport, are going to share a little bit more about some of the conversations they're having, if if at all, with other remodeling companies. And at that point, I might talk about the kind of advice that they're getting from other remodeling companies. Again, good or bad, I might ask them what some of those ideas have been so I can really address them. And by knowing that up front, knowing that early, I can do that. Similarly, when they say they want to think about it, you might talk about really focus on selling your process and part of what you need to do in putting together this package and proposal is really focus on helping them think it through, helping to create kind of more ambiguity earlier on in the process so they're really more locked into working with you. So by addressing it early, easy, early, and the third E is every time. You want to make sure that you're doing these tips every time. And the reason that you want to do it every time is, number one, you know if you've addressed these things and said these things and done the proper presentation to the company and all those kind of things early on, you know what you've said. You don't have to remember or ask yourself, did I really discuss that or not with the client? The other benefit of doing it every time, that's how you become more masterful. That's how you become more comfortable with the language. That's how you can start to think more so than just react. The second tip is time kills deals. Now, some of you have heard that little adage or phrase before, but you want to address objections early on and not let time go on. You want to get out in front of the client as quickly as possible before there's any objections. You want to come to closure as quickly as possible. And as the time goes on, more times than not, that oftentimes can be the reason that objections end up causing you problems. Number three is be hungry, not desperate. What I find with salespeople is when they're desperate, they oftentimes react very, very differently and answer objections without the right level of confidence, whereas when they're hungry and they want that project and they want that, they're not necessarily operating in a mode of desperation. So the more that you can be hungry and not desperate. Now, what's the best way to be desperate? Make sure that you are not closing down your pipeline and you're going out on enough different leads. Make sure that you have enough prospects that you're talking to. If you kind of close down that pipeline and close down that pipe, so to speak. It's very easy to be desperate when you need to have a sale as opposed to being hungry. Assume the worst, but hope for the best. You know, the pro, I think, assumes the worst. They anticipate and they're prepared for the objection, but then they hope for the best. People buy emotionally, but rationalize their decisions logically. Now, on these different podcasts, I've really talked about one of the fundamental shifts that we've seen in the marketplace is, in fact, kind of captured in that little quote. People buy emotionally but rationalize logically. 
you know, because of the the uh, recession that we went through, I think that uh, people still are a little bit gun shy. It's great; they're excited about working with you when you're in the in the home and in the moment, and it's all emotional, it's all positive, and they're all excited. But once you leave, the logic starts to set in. You know, does this really make sense to do? Am I going to get the right return on my, my investment? Thinking about the expenses and the costs of doing the project. The more that you can weave in logic into them doing it early on in the process, for example, the return on investment, the levels of risk of who they're working with, all of those logical, concrete things, the more successful you're going to be. Another favorite quote of mine is, a professional leaves nothing to chance. And I think if you really think about that, leaves nothing to chance, you're going to check off all the boxes and make sure that that you're uh, more successful in this process. A great question I think oftentimes we want to ask is, why should they do the project? That's all great. Why should they do it with you? Why should they do it now? But if you're dealing with objections or becoming masterful at how to deal with objections, flip that question around the opposite direction. Why should they not do this project? Why should they not do this project with you? And why should they not do this project now? If you know the not answers, you're more likely to be able to weave those into your presentation and be more successful. And then the last element in terms of tips I would encourage is practice this subject. You can certainly go back. There's been a lot of writings and reading, uh, writings about sales processes and techniques. There's people out there that are very, very good at handling objections. Ride along with them. Listen to them. Watch what they're doing. But also go back and listen to this podcast again. Go subscribe to this podcast series and listen to the different topics that weave in together. If you have a series of salespeople, extend this on. Make this part of your sales meeting, a discussion of how to deal with and what the most common objections are. Simply by making this top of mind, you're going to take your objection game to the next level. So I want to thank everybody for listening to this episode. I also want to thank certainly my supporters with Professional Remodeler as well as with the National Association of the Remodeling Industry. And I encourage you to come to the Extreme Sales Summit September 7th in Philadelphia this year where the theme is Innovative Selling. And at that particular event, you're going to learn, I think, things about selling that's going on out there today that not only is very different from the past, but will help position you for the future. So take care, everyone, and I look forward to speaking to you soon. Thank you for listening in to episode 101 of Mark G. Richardson's Remodeling Mastery, brought to you by Surefire Local. I hope you were able to figure out the best way to deal with objections when working with homeowners. Don't forget to subscribe to Mark's podcast on your favorite podcast app. Thanks again, and we hope to see you next time.